Welcome to episode four of the Women in the Word at Uni podcast. Hi, my name's Rachel, and I'm looking forward to opening the Bible with you today. Are you familiar with the phrase, don't judge a book by its cover? Literally, it means don't pick up a book and make a decision about whether it's a good book or not simply by looking at its cover. It's a saying we most often use with reference to people rather than books, generally meaning don't be too quick to judge someone, don't make a decision about their character or about what kind of a person they are simply by looking at them. But it's so easy to do, isn't it? We assume someone is older, younger, richer, poorer, smarter, less smart, just by what we see on the surface. We might even mistake their identity and think they're an entirely different person than they really are. My husband and I recently saw the movie Ocean's 8. It was really entertaining, but for the protagonists of the story to be successful, as with the other Ocean's movies, they had to deliberately convince the antagonists to mistake their identity so that they could steal from them. They want to have their identities mistaken so that they can get away with theft. If someone saw beyond the surface and realised their true identities, their cover would be blown and their plot would not succeed. So they don't want to be seen for who they really are. But that's not necessarily the case for us, is it? Hopefully we're not trying to hide our identities for criminal purposes. Most of us want people to know us for who we really are. We don't necessarily want people to assume what our personality is, what interests us, or what we like or dislike based on what they see on the surface. We want to be known for who we really are. So by that logic, wouldn't it be fair for us to want to know other people for who they really are too, to try to get their identities right? Well, the part of the Bible we're reading today challenges us to see Jesus' true identity. Today, we're going to see a number of people who mistake Jesus' identity. The part of the Bible we're going to read today challenges us to get Jesus right, to understand him for who he really is, because missing his true identity is a problem. And as we study today's part of the Bible, it's my prayer that we will see Jesus more clearly. So the question for each of us then, as we read the Bible, is this. Do I see Jesus for who he really is? Or to put it another way, how do I see Jesus? Well, keep that question in mind as we read the Bible. Today we're reading Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 26, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. Now, I encourage you to open your Bible or your Bible app or to look up the passage on a website like BibleGateway.com or Biblia.com. That's B-I-B-L-I-A.com. We're reading Mark chapter 8, verses 1 to 26. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. 
He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, Seven. He said to them, Do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, Don't even go into the village. In the last episode of the podcast, we looked at the part of the Bible just before this one, and we found Jesus in the Decapolis, a predominantly Gentile or non-Jewish region to the southeast of the Sea of Galilee. As we begin today's Bible passage, they're still there. Jesus has healed a man who was deaf and couldn't speak. Now a huge crowd gathers around Jesus. They've been with him for three days and they have no food. They need to eat. But Jesus doesn't just want to send them home, as they might not even have enough energy to do that. Some have travelled from a long way away to see Jesus, and they might collapse before they reach their destination. But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Asked Jesus' disciples, his 12 closest followers. Now, this might seem like quite a legitimate question. Firstly, they're in a remote place. If you've ever been on a road trip through Queensland or New South Wales, you know what it's like to travel for kilometre after kilometre without seeing a house or a shop. But it's not like the disciples could just jump in a car and drive to the next town or stop at a service station or a McDonald's on the highway. Food is hard to come by here. Secondly, we read in verse 9 that there were around 4,000 people present. That is a lot of mouths to feed. Even if they could go and knock on a friendly neighbour's door or drop into a roadside food cellar, who is going to possibly have enough supplies to feed 4,000 people? The disciples pose what seems like a very legitimate question, given the obstacles in front of them. But hang on, does this story sound a little familiar to you at all? If you've been listening to this podcast and if you heard the first episode, we read Mark 6 verses 30 to 56. We saw Jesus feed a crowd of 5,000 men plus any women and children who were present by miraculously turning five loaves and two fish into enough food for them to all eat their full with 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Now, the disciples were there when this happened. So they've already witnessed Jesus' ability to feed a very large group of people with a very small amount of resources. It was a pretty amazing miracle. Don't you think they would remember? In light of that, does their question today, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them, seem quite as legitimate anymore? Does it seem quite as valid? 
Well, you see, even though the disciples saw that first feeding miracle with their eyes, they failed to understand it with their hearts. We read in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Sadly, the disciples did not grasp the miracle's significance. They failed to see the truth behind what their eyes witnessed. That when Jesus fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish, he was revealing his power as the Son of God Almighty. They failed to see Jesus for who he really is then. So they don't make the connection now that he could do something similar again. Well, let's continue on in today's passage and see what Jesus does. This time, they have seven loaves and a few small fish. And we'll see that Jesus actually acts very similarly to the way he did back in chapter 6. In both instances, he instructs the people to sit on the ground. In both instances, he takes the loaves, thanks God for them, breaks them and gives them to the disciples to distribute. In both instances, everyone ate and was satisfied. In both instances, there were lots of leftovers, this time seven basketfuls. In both instances, Jesus has cared for the physical needs of people and shown his miraculous, amazing power to defy the laws of nature. Seven loaves of bread and a few small fish are simply not enough to feed a crowd of 40, let alone 4,000, if we're thinking in strictly human terms. But Jesus is not bound by natural laws. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's showing his power and showing his care for people, providing for their needs. Surely the disciples will see Jesus for who he really is this time, won't they? Well, we'll find out, but the Bible doesn't tell us straight away. The narrative moves on. Jesus dismisses the crowd and crosses the Sea of Galilee in a boat with his disciples, entering the region of Dalmanutha. Here they meet some Pharisees. These were Jewish religious leaders, and in the encounters they've had with Jesus up until this point, they've generally been quite sceptical of him. This time is no exception. In fact, they deliberately set out to test him. They ask him for a sign from heaven. But Jesus doesn't comply. Why not, we might ask. I mean, couldn't Jesus show them his authority by performing some kind of miracle? Couldn't he put them in their place, silence their questions, by showing them who he is once and for all? Well, he does show his authority here, but not with signs, rather with words. When he says, truly I tell you, no sign will be given this generation. Well, that's the way Jesus speaks when he's speaking with authority. And you see, Jesus has given signs from heaven. He has already clearly demonstrated his power as the Son of God again and again. The most obvious and powerful way in which he has shown that he has the power of God, that he is ushering in the kingdom of God, God's loving rule on earth, is by the casting out of demons. And by now he's done that numerous times. But the thing is, even though the Pharisees know Jesus has done this, like the disciples, they've missed the point. In Mark chapter 3, verse 22, we read this. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons. He is driving out demons. The leaders of the Jewish people miss seeing the fact that when Jesus drives out demons, he is demonstrating God's loving, kingly rule on earth, God's power over evil. But they don't just miss the point. They get it completely wrong. They accuse him of doing it by the powers of evil, by the devil. The Pharisees want a sign from heaven. Jesus has already given them a sign, but they completely mistook his identity. 
so this time when they've deliberately set out to test him, he doesn't pander to their request. Jesus and his disciples move on again. Well, now they're in the boat, but the disciples have forgotten to bring enough provisions. All they have is one loaf of bread. So Jesus seizes this as an opportunity to teach them. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. What is Jesus saying here, we may well ask. The disciples are confused, and so might we be. So let's try to understand Jesus' meaning. Remember, Jesus often speaks in parables. That is, he often uses word pictures to make a point. This one is about the Pharisees, about Herod and yeast. Let's start by thinking about the yeast. Now, you may or may not have baked with yeast before, but if you ever look at a recipe for bread or pizza dough or anything that requires yeast, you will read fairly similar instructions. Usually a yeast recipe will tell you to mix your ingredients together in a certain order to make a dough, and then to leave that dough in a lightly oiled bowl covered with plastic wrap for an hour or two, or until it's doubled in size. So how does this blob of ingredients grow to twice its size? Well, it's the yeast. Yeast, when combined with sugar and liquid, activates, and when it's activated, it spreads, it grows. You typically only have to use a very small amount of yeast, a few grams perhaps, yet it has a very powerful influence on the flour and the other ingredients, making them grow to twice their original size. That small amount of yeast overtakes the other ingredients with its power. So what Jesus is saying here is, the ideologies of the Pharisees and of Herod are powerful. They're very influential. So don't be taken into their way of thinking, otherwise you'll be consumed by them. The Pharisees are seeking spectacular signs. Don't buy into that. Don't be seeking signs in that way. Herod, the ruler of the Jews, whose capital city Tiberias, is not very far from Dalmanutha where Jesus and his disciples have just been. He's known to be power hungry. Herod's yeast might be to be to think that God's kingdom will come in a similar power-grabbing fashion. Don't be like them, says Jesus. Beware of their way of thinking, the way of thinking that seeks signs and seeks power as evidence of God's kingdom, of his loving rule in the world. However, the disciples again miss the point. They think he's just responding to their lack of physical bread. They don't seem to see that Jesus is trying to teach them something bigger. Jesus knows their questions and he responds. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? He then quizzes them. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? The disciples give the right answers. They have seen with their eyes what Jesus has done, his amazing ability to do miracles, to turn a few loaves into enough food for thousands of people with an abundance of leftovers. They've seen Jesus at work, but they still don't seem to understand who he is. They see him work, but they don't see who he is. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, God sent prophets to bring his messages to his people, his people who were often sadly not living as he wanted them to. Two of these prophets were named Jeremiah and Ezekiel. In Jeremiah chapter 5 verse 21 in the Bible, we read this, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. And then in Ezekiel 12 verse 2, we read this, Son of man, you are living among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but do not see, and ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. 
An ongoing problem for God's people back then was their inability to see and hear what God wanted them to do, how he wanted them to live. They had a problem and it was a disconnect between the physical organs, the eyes and ears, and the inside, the heart, to truly see and hear God's messages. Jesus uses words very similar to those of the prophets when he addresses his disciples. In verse 18, do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Like the people the prophets spoke to, the disciples have eyes and ears. And they're there when Jesus is doing miraculous works and when he's teaching the people again and again. But they still don't understand. They still don't see Jesus for who he really is. Evidently, seeing Jesus and understanding who he is requires more than just the physical senses in our heads. Seeing Jesus for who he really is requires our hearts, not just our heads. And that seems to be where the disciples are going wrong. Well, our passage for today ends with another instance of sight and seeing. Jesus and his disciples land ashore and come to Bethsaida where a blind man is brought to Jesus. Jesus takes the man aside outside of the village and in a very physical gesture, he uses his own hands and his own spit to restore the man's sight. Now, he does it in two stages. The second half of verse 23 says, When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hand on, hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Now, we're not to understand this to mean that Jesus made a mistake, that he didn't heal the man completely at the first go because he simply couldn't do it. We've seen Jesus' great power. We know he could heal this man instantly with a word if he wanted to. We're not told exactly why he did it in two stages this time, so I'm not going to speculate. What's more important than trying to figure out why Jesus worked in this particular way this time is seeing that he did work. Jesus, with his own hands, restored the sight of a blind man. So here we see Jesus, the one who can cast out demons, who can turn a few loaves and fish into a feast, and who can restore sight to the physically blind. Yet his own disciples, the ones who are closest to him and have seen him at work again and again, they too are blind. They're spiritually blind. They see what Jesus does with their eyes, but their hearts are hard. They're blind to who he is. They fail to see Jesus clearly. So it brings us back to the question for each of us then, doesn't it? How do I see Jesus? Do I see the things he has done and the miracles he has performed? Do I see his care and compassion for people and the way he teaches? Do I see all this with my eyes and hear it with my ears? But do I see his true identity? Do I stop at what I see of Jesus on the surface? Or am I willing to search with my heart to dig a little deeper to understand Jesus' true identity? You see, on the surface, Jesus is a very good man who looked after people, who healed people and made their lives a bit better, who raised people from the dead, thereby bringing great comfort to the sorrowing, who taught people how to live, thereby perhaps helping the society to function a bit better in a more peaceful and harmonious way. All of these things are true of Jesus. So if this is who you believe Jesus to be, you're right. But if that's all you believe Jesus is, you're also missing some important elements of who he is because that's just the surface. That's not all there is to him. To see Jesus clearly, we need to go beyond what our eyes and ears see and hear. 
To see Jesus clearly, we need to seek to understand what's behind the things we see him do and hear him teach. We need to understand that Jesus is the Son of God, the one sent by God to bring people to God. And to see Jesus most clearly, we actually need to go to his death, to his death on a cross where he gave his life in exchange for ours, where he died the death we deserve to die for sinning against God in order to grant us the opportunity to be forgiven by him. The cross, which is the greatest display of God's power, but was completely misunderstood by those who killed Jesus. In our passage today, the Pharisees came to Jesus looking for a sign, and the greatest sign he gave them was at the cross. Here he showed the greatest display of his identity. As the one and only perfect son of God, he was the only one who could take our place in punishment. And as the perfect son of God, he showed the most amazing sign three days later when he rose from the dead. When Jesus died on the cross, it seemed like his opponents had won, that they had defeated him. But no, it was the greatest display of Jesus' true identity as God's son, the one who loves, saves, forgives those who follow him, the one with power, not just over physical blindness and demons and bread, but the one with power over death. Is this how I see Jesus? Do I see him as the one who died to save me from my sins, to grant me a relationship with God Almighty? Or do I just see the things he did? Do I see him as the good man that he is, the good teacher and the one who helps people in need? I would be right to see him as these things. He is a good teacher and he helps people in need. But I mustn't stop there because he's not just a good person. I must not stop with simply what my eyes see of him because he is so much more than that. Don't be like the disciples and see all that Jesus does but fail to understand, fail to see him clearly because that's a danger for us. The danger for us is to see and hear Jesus with our heads, with our eyes and ears, but fail to internalize it, to understand with our hearts, to fail to see Jesus as the one Son of God who we need to save us from our sins. Now, sometimes our preconceptions can get in the way. Sometimes the ideas we already have about Jesus stop us from seeing him clearly. If we already believe Jesus is a good teacher, a kind healer, we might think, that this is all we need to know about him and not seek to understand more deeply. Or we might not want to dig too deeply because of the damage we've seen done in the name of religion. Or we might believe that Jesus is just one of many equally legitimate paths to follow in life. Well, if any of these are the case for you, can I encourage you, can I challenge you to go deeper, to seek to see Jesus more clearly? You could even ask him, Pray to him, ask him to help you to see him and understand his true identity as the son of God, because that is who he really is. If we think he is just a miracle worker or a good man, we're missing out. We're not seeing his full identity. Well, another danger for us as we see Jesus and the miraculous works he does is to think that he will always work in these amazing, spectacular ways. Making this assumption is precisely what Jesus warns the disciples against when he warns against the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod in verse 15. Yes, Jesus does some amazing, extraordinary works in this part of the Bible, but he doesn't promise that he will always do so. And if we expect he will, we could be disappointed. The danger is that we might start to think 
that if we're not seeing Jesus work in an extraordinary healing in someone we know, or if we don't see him reconcile a relationship or give us a good mark in an essay, even though we've prayed that he would, the danger is that we will start to think that he's not at work. There is a danger in limiting Jesus by thinking that he only and always works in the spectacular. But Jesus sometimes also works in the quiet. Jesus sometimes uses our painful experiences to achieve a different purpose than the one we have in mind. Jesus sometimes contradicts our expectations. And that's where the challenge can really be for us to keep seeing Jesus as he truly is, as the loving, saving, all-powerful Son of God, and that he continues to be so, even if what we see on the surface is not the way we expect him to act. So how do you see Jesus? Are you seeing the good things he did and stopping there? Or are you willing to dig deeper and see beyond the actions to what they reveal about him, to the fact that they show him for who he really is as the all-loving, all-powerful Son of God who came to save the world and bring those who would follow him into relationship with his heavenly Father. How do you see Jesus? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for sending your Son Jesus to earth. Thank you for the way he cared for people's physical needs. But thank you that that is not all he did. Thank you that he is your all-powerful, all-loving son and that by following him, we can have an eternal relationship with you. Dear God, help us to see the Lord Jesus as he truly is. Amen. Well, if you'd like to find out more about the Bible, about following Jesus or about being a Christian at uni, I invite you to please email me at racotterer.com at gmail.com. That's R-A-K-O-T-T-E-R-E-R at gmail.com.